Well, good morning. If you've got a Bible, you can turn to Mark chapter 2, and we're going to be in verses 18 to 22. And again, let me just catch us up on Mark, that Mark is asking this question, who's the Messiah? Who is it? And, and so he's answering this question over and over and over for the first eight chapters. He's answering the question that, that Jesus is the Messiah. And so he does that again. But from chapter two to chapter three, then, then there's five conflicts that he has with these scribes and Pharisees. And in these five conflicts, then Jesus is intentionally provoking them in order that he might clarify the reality of who he is and what he came to do. And so we're here in the third of this conflict. And I've struggled a little bit to try to communicate just how shocking what Jesus is saying and doing here is. So, so let me just maybe try to build this case. What if I said from next week on, we no longer need church? We don't need it. It's pointless. Some of you are like, wow, interesting. What if I said that from next week on, you don't need your Bible? You won't need it. It's pointless. <laughs> like, whoa, wait a minute. Who is this preacher, right? For y'all that are guests, we love the scriptures. Right? That's how shocking it is, right? The point of what Jesus is saying here is that these traditions, these religious traditions, and these good things that we have, that if we've fallen so in love with them that we've missed the point of what they're pointing us to, then we've missed it. What Jesus is going to say in this text is that, that the Pharisees were so focused on their religious traditions that they missed the point of what they were pointing to, which was him. And so we run the same case, but, but the shock is that these are good things, things that have been given to us or instructed for us to do, but they're not an end in and of themselves. They're a means to point us to the one who is worthy of our worship. Let's pray and ask that the Lord would help us as we look at this text. God, would you open our eyes and our ears and our hearts that we might behold you through your word? Lord, that you might meet with us today. Lord, drawing us more into to love and affection and worship of you. Lord, we thank you for the blessings of, of being able to gather as a church body and, and being able to look at your word Lord, but I pray that we would not miss you in those things. Lord, would you help us this morning? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, let's read our text, and I want to unpack this for us. So starting in verse 18, here's what it says. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and people came, and they said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. But no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, and the new from the old and the worst tear is made. 
And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. There's two truths that I want to give you up front that Jesus is communicating in this as he brings clarification. That the first is that Jesus is Israel's bridegroom. Jesus is the promised one. That the Old Testament prophets foresaw that there was Israel, this, this bride, and that Jesus is the bridegroom. This foreshadows the wedding feast that we see in Revelation, where the church is the bride of Christ and Jesus is the bridegroom. And so very clearly he is making the statement that he is the promised Messiah, the bridegroom of Israel. The second truth that I want us to see in this is that Jesus brings something new. That's what he's communicating to them, that that he's bringing something new. There's a new covenant that he brings, and there's specifically a new way of relating to God. So as we look at this, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Now, I don't think this text is specifically about fasting. There's a lot of things we can learn about fasting, and we'll talk about that in connection group and in core classes and in um, all of these other things. But this text isn't specifically about fasting, but fasting is the catalyst that brings up this conversation. In the Old Testament law, then, then the people of God were required to fast one time a year. That was the requirement. They were to fast on the Day of Atonement. Fasting was to negate something in you that was necessary, food, in order that it would point you to long for something that was more necessary, of greater value. So they were required by the law to fast once a year, but we see here that this isn't the day of atonement, and so John's disciples are fasting and the Pharisees are fasting. What are they, what are they doing? Well, these were religious traditions that they had raised up. That John's disciples are fasting most likely because they want the kingdom of God to come. John the Baptist, we've already met him. He's pointing to Jesus going, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's pointing to Jesus as the promised one. And so what were his disciples fasting for? They're probably fasting, come Lord Jesus, come. Bring your kingdom. The Pharisees, on the other hand, They're fasting as well. What were they fasting about? In some regard, they were probably fasting about the same thing of wanting God's promises to be made true. But they had a tradition that they would fast twice a week whether they needed to or not, right? That that they had a religious tradition that they would fast as a way of just reminding themselves that God would keep his promise in sending the Messiah. And so... They've now come to Jesus, and they're asking Jesus, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not? Now, the assumption of this question is, we should all fast. That's the assumption that they have. But Jesus' assumption is the exact opposite. Look at the way that he answers this, verse 19. And then Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them. As long as you have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. Jesus' assumption, based off of the fact that he is with them, is you can't fast right now. 
let me maybe illustrate it this way. My mom loves pictures. She's always loved pictures. She always asked for film back in the film days. That was her Christmas present. She just loves pictures. Well, they live six and a half hours away from us, and we've got four grandkids. And so she always wants pictures. We bought her even the little picture frame that we can just upload them to her, right? That she always gets pictures. Now, imagine my mom and dad coming to visit and my mom just looking at pictures while my kids are running around. And they're like, Grandma, Grandma, Grandma. And she's like, no, don't, don't bother me. I'm looking at your all's pictures. What? How silly, right? Like, well, the kids are here. Who cares about the pictures? I have them. I don't want to see the pictures. This is exactly what Jesus is saying. He's saying that, that these religious traditions were to point you to long for me. But I'm here, so you don't do that. You enjoy and celebrate. That when the kingdom of God is at hand, you don't fast for the kingdom to come. It's there. And so Jesus is telling them that he is the bridegroom. The kingdom of God is at hand. He is with them. There's no fasting. It's celebration. But then Jesus is going to go on and he's going to illustrate this in two different ways for us. He's going to give us these two analogies, one of sewing a patch onto a cloth and the other of filling these wineskins. And so let's look at this because this is really what unpacks the newness of what Jesus is bringing. That Jesus is bringing something new in the way that they relate to God. Let's look at what he says. Verse 21. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it and a new from the old and a worse tear is made. Now, the picture that we see here is Jesus is is clarifying for them that you can't put a Jesus patch onto this old sacrificial system, this old tradition, this way that they related to God. Well, what do we mean by that? Well, in the Old Testament... God had given the people a way of relating to him. It came through the priests. It came through the sacrificial system. It came through the law. How did the people in the Old Testament relate to God? Well, it was really bloody and really messy. And thankfully, as someone who is a minister on staff, that that we don't have that anymore, right? It was just, I mean, even just for my own job security, like people did this wrong in the Old Testament, they got like swallowed up or eaten by fire, right? Like for my own security, this is a good thing. But they had this system and it was, it was a blessing from God. Think about it like this. If, if God said the only way that you can relate to him is through the sacrifice of an animal, would you sacrifice an animal? Yes. By keeping these things that this is the way. Now, How were people in the Old Testament saved? Catch this, this is important because it's not this old way, new way as far as salvation. People have always been saved by grace through faith. That's the way that people are saved. So in the Old Testament, people were saved by faith. They were saved by faith in trusting in God's way of providing salvation for them. They trusted that if they put the blood of the lamb over the doorpost, 
They had faith that God would keep his promise and pass over. It was by faith that they were saved. It was trusting in God's provisions. God's provisions were through this sacrificial system. Pointing forward to the one who would come and fully satisfy it. That the sacrificial system pointed forward. That this priestly system pointed forward. That that all of these things pointed forward to Christ. Who would come and satisfy. Not abolish it, but satisfy it. So... Jesus is saying to them, you can't take this little Jesus patch and put it on the old system. It doesn't work. Why doesn't it work? Well, just like a a patch of new sewn onto the old, he says that that you can't take this unshrunken and sew it onto the shrunken. I don't know if any of y'all have ever shrunk something in the laundry. Cotton shrinks. Same thing with leather, right? That you get this, if, if you've ever experienced it, then you realize that when it shrinks, then it pulls and it'll tear. And what you had hoped would fix it actually makes it worse. And so Jesus says, you can't just have this old system that you try to patch with something new. It doesn't work. I think there's a application there that you can't, live your old life and just try to put a Jesus patch on certain parts of it. No, it has to be all new. And that's where he goes next is that he then points us to an illustration which is really foreign to most of us, probably all of us, I would say. That he he talks like this. He says, verse 22, and no one puts a new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skin. And the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. Okay, so what is he talking about? Well, he's, he's talking about that he's bringing something new that can't be put into the old. He's bringing a new covenant. A new way of relating to God that is through him, not through this old system. Again, I want to be careful here because this is super helpful for us. Not that the old was bad, but that it's obsolete. Not that pictures of my kids are bad, but when my kids are there, then the pictures become obsolete because they're the fulfillment of the picture. In the same way, let me see if I can unpack this for us, that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament law. Therefore, the law becomes obsolete because he is new. Jesus said at the Last Supper, he said, this is a covenant of my blood. That it's a new covenant. So, we see the Old, Old Testament system that they would sacrifice a lamb. Jesus is the lamb of God. When, when Jesus died on the cross, then he said, it is finished. And there was something that was massively important that happened at that moment. That the temple veil was torn. It was rent from the top down. Well, what was this veil for? The veil was a, a barrier between the people of God and God's presence, God himself. There was a barrier. And when Jesus died on the cross, then he tore that barrier The barrier was no more because it didn't have to be there because he is the means in which we can relate to God. 
He is the high priest. He is the Lamb of God that was sacrificed for the forgiveness of sins. That he is the means in which we can have relationship with God. It's no longer through this sacrificial system. It's through him. So Jesus is telling these Pharisees and he's telling us today that he is the way that you can have a relationship with God. Not through showing up to church. Not through reading your Bible. Your Bible doesn't save you. Jesus of the scriptures saves you. Imagine it like this. You're having your quiet time. You're sitting there reading your Bible. You got your cup of coffee. It's something you do every day. And you get a little tap on your shoulder and you're like, hey, I'm busy. Don't bother me. Reading your Bible. Tap on the shoulder. Jesus goes, hey, do you want to meet with me? And you go, nah, I'm good. I'm reading my Bible. What? The Bible is great. It is the means in which God has given us to know him, to experience Christ. But Hebrews even says, like in former days, God spoke to us through prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son. That there will come a day when we won't gather in church buildings, but we will gather around Christ. That we won't be looking to the scriptures to see Jesus, but that we will behold him in front of us. What this text is doing for us is it's, is it's reminding us, don't get so caught up on these religious traditions that you miss Jesus. It's about him. And when he's with us, then we no longer are drawn to these things which are supposed to point us forward to him. He brought a new way for us to be in fellowship with him and it's by faith in Christ and Christ alone. So how do we apply this text? Well, I think we apply it because we see ourselves in verse 20. Look at it with me. Verse 20 says this, that the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and they will see and they will fast in that day. That's us. That Jesus came and he, he walked among his disciples and then he was crucified and he was buried for three days and he rose again and he was with his disciples for about 40 days and then he told them, I'm going to my father to prepare a place that where I am you may be also. And he said that I'll come back and I'll come get you. But in that meantime, the bridegroom is not among us in a physical presence. He did tell his disciples that, lo, I'm with you always, even to the ends of the earth, that he would send the helper with us. So we have the presence of the Holy Spirit with us, but, but Jesus is pointing to a day right here where he will come again. And so until that day, we do long. We do have religious traditions and they're a blessing to us to point us forward to long for the day when we would behold him.
So how do we apply this? Well, we begin to look at these disciplines and these religious traditions and these good things that are given to us as a means of helping us long. That if you just read your Bible to be able to check a box, you've missed it. Your time in the Word should help you long for Him. Coming to church shouldn't just be a tradition that you do. It would be something that helps you long for Him. Prayer should be something that helps us long for Him. Fasting should be something that helps us long for Christ. These things are not ends in and of themselves, but they're means that we would behold Him. Don't let the religious traditions become an end in and of themselves. We're longing to behold Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, which is good, which is eternal. But we long for the day when when we will behold the living word, Jesus Christ. Lord, would you help us in this meantime, in the time where we're looking forward to your kingdom coming, to you returning? God, would you help us to long for you? That we wouldn't become satisfied in the religious things, that our hope wouldn't be based in those things, but they would be in you. There's such a subtleness there. Lord, but would you help us in this? Jesus, we don't want to be so fixated on the the religious traditions that we would miss you. So would you help us? Help us to be a people who are excited, who look forward to that day, who tell others about that day coming. Lord, you're worthy of our worship. You're worthy of our longing. You're the most important thing that we need. Would you help us? We ask it in Jesus' name.